Thank you for listening to the weekly podcast of Community Bible Church in Savannah, Georgia. We hope you'll enjoy this sermon from our series, Progress and Joy, a study on Philippians. For more information about CBC or how you can get plugged in, visit our website, cbcsavannah.com. I, th- I think in a couple weeks here, if I'm not mistaken, we have like review week. If you're like, what is he talking about? I don't get this place. I'm already weirded out. That's all right. Here's what we're talking about. In the, in the, in the foyer, there's these little bookmarks that we hand out at the beginning of every series. It kind of has the reading ahead schedule. It tells you what text we're going to be in. And it also gives you a memory verse for every week. So that you can think your way through every week. It's kind of the key verse for each text. You can be in the text. You can be reminding yourself as a church and if you notice, all these verses that we've been looking at so far, are, they're really about Christ. To live is Christ. Last week, if Christ is proclaimed, I rejoice, right? In truth or in pretense. Before that, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. Really, as we talk about this book, this book is not as much about joy, per se, as it is about Paul rejoicing and having joy in Christ. And you're going to see that theme throughout. This is a book about the Lord Jesus and the joy he brings. And that's important for us. That's why you need to do your homework so that you can get ingrained in your heart and your mind just the joy that's in Christ. All right? So that's, that's kind of where we're going. Catch up if you're behind and, and you can grab those there. But here's where we've been. The Apostle Paul, remember him? He is in prison in Rome 24-7, chained to a Roman Basically a Navy SEAL, right? The, the best of the best, their Praetorian Guard. And he is writing this letter to this church who loves him, he loves them. They sent him a guy named Epaphroditus with some money, with some provision. When you're in prison in that day, there's not three squares a day. You get what people bring you or you die. And so they meet his physical need um, and he is thankful. He writes a letter back to them, thanking them, telling them he is doing well, informing of what's going on. Um, and, and ultimately, trying to encourage them in the midst of their growth, right? But what we saw last week is, is this, if he had his little cell phone, he would have taken a little selfie, and, and Paul, in jail, is smiling. He's like, right? He's, he's rejoicing. Why? Even though there's, this, there's fellow Christians that are trying to bring him down and afflict him, even though he's falsely accused, he is rejoicing. Why? Because, number one, he has opportunities to tell people about Christ, Number two, the church is becoming more courageous and strengthened. And number three, he's deepening his faith. So he says, I rejoice. I rejoice. And I want you to get the weight of this, y'all, because y'all seem like you're asleep. All right, so I want you to get the weight of this. When Paul, because we're going to come to this text, to live as Christ, yeah. This is not some slogan that Paul memorized in first grade in Awanas. That's not, it's not a bumper sticker on the back of his camel, Smack it on his butt. To live as Christ, to die as gay. That's not what it is. This is his motto. This is his life. And it's easy. Yeah, 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 yeah. He is looking down the barrel of a gun. This is not hypothetical. Death is not like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It is very possible he's going to be called before Caesar. Caesar's going to say, bow and worship me. He's going to say no, and he's going to kill him. That is a very likely thing. Yet, he's sitting there like this. Rejoice. How is that possible? You gotta understand for Paul, life or death, it's a win win situation for him. It's win win, right? Either way, I win. This is, this is your Star Wars reference for the week. This is Obi Wan Kenobi telling Darth Vader, You can't win, Darth. 
You strike me down, I shall become more powerful than you can possibly imagine. So win-win. Kill me. Don't kill me. I win. That's Paul. It's a win-win situation. Kill me. Gain. Live Christ. And so what we need to, really what we need to talk about this morning, and this is not an easy topic. I'm I'm not trying to be Debbie Downer or anything else, but we need to talk about, about death. Because the reality is this. Last time I checked, the death rate in the world is almost 100%. All right, out of the 10 billion people that have ever lived, only two guys make it. Enoch and Elijah, they're Old Testament dudes. Even the guys that get raised from the dead, Mr. Sleepyhead in the balcony, when he falls asleep during Paul's sermon, he ends up at one point dying again. Lazarus ends up dying again. So unless you're... You, if you're going to count on you being the next guy, right, which you got better chance of winning the Powerball, by the way, so go play it. Don't go play it, okay? <laughs> the reality is this. We're going to face it. And you can take your vitamins, and you can wear sunscreen. You can put on your seatbelt, and you can wear your helmet when you're riding bikes, unlike what we did when we were growing up. And you can stop riding in the back of pickup trucks. And you can stop eating bacon and Chef Boyardee, which is what we all grew up on, right? You can do all that stuff, and maybe you should. Maybe you should go for a ride in the back of a pickup truck and live a little bit, just a little. But the reality is this, you will face it, and so will I. So how can we as Christians see it as a win-win? That's what we're going to talk about as we look at Paul, all right? That's where we're going, all right? So let me read our text we're going to look at 18b, really the second half of 18, all the way to the end of the chapter. And then we'll kind of talk about it and unpack it together. All right? Are you all awake? Can you nod? Can you raise your hand? Left hand up? Some of you are like right hand up already. You're like, okay, now you're right. I'm just making sure because you all seem kind of, usually the, uh, the, the 1045 is like the lively. I mean, I got people slain in the spirit down the aisle. Now you all are like asleep. So just making sure. I'm just making sure you all are out late last night celebrating Georgia or something. I don't know. Okay. Let's jump in. 18. All right, yes, and I will rejoice. For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I'm to live on in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet, which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith. So that in me, you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or I'm absent, I may hear that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you shall not only believe in him, but shall suffer for his sake. Engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. So Paul 
doesn't know immediately what's going to happen. He, he doesn't know exactly what's going to happen in his future. Could live, could die. He kind of thinks he's going to live, but he's not sure. But either way, it's a win-win. And the entirety of the text is governed by that little phrase at the end of 18. Remember, I know you got your Bibles, and you look at the numbers, and you're like, oh, this is the starting place. Numbers and, and, and chapter divisions are not original. Some guy a thousand years after it was written put them in. He was wrong on this one. But I think if you have the ESV there and some of the other translations, it actually corrects it and it puts it with the next section. It's linked to the previous section where he says, Christ is proclaimed and that I rejoice. And then he says, yes, I will rejoice. So everything he says after is governed by that. Why will you rejoice, Paul? Here's why, verse 19. For I know that through the, your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. As it is at my eager expectation, this word for eager expectation, it's a word that means to stretch your neck to see. It's kind of what y'all do in the, in the balcony, see me before we put it up on the screen, all right? You're like, I can't see him. It's too short. Yeah, I get that, right? But I'm trying to see. That's what Paul, I, I can't see. I want to see it. I'm looking. And it's my hope, right? <clears throat> and hope in the scripture is not, I don't know what's going to happen. I hope the cowboys get absolutely demolished today. Woo! But I'm not confident the Cowboys are going to get demolished today. That, see, that's the difference between biblical hope and our hope. But in the Bible, hope is I am sure of this. Right? I'm looking for, here's what Paul's saying. I, I'm looking for, I'm stretching my neck, and my hope is in this. I'm not going to be ashamed. I'm going to be courageous. Christ is going to be honored in my body. Why is that? Because I will be delivered. This will turn out for my deliverance. Literally, the Greek word is, I will be saved. That's, that's the word. It's used elsewhere of salvation from sin. So you say, what are you being saved from, Paul? What are you talking about? Because some people say he's going to get out of jail. That's what he means. And some people say, no, he's going to die. And that's what it means. Here, here's, if you do a little bit of digging in the text, this is what you see is going on. That Paul is actually quoting the Old Testament here. He's quoting the book of Job, which is not common in the scripture. And if you remember Job's story, Job loses everything. Health, wealth. Family, even his wife's like, curse God and die. Get out of here, dope, right? And so he has some friends who try to come and kind of comfort him and encourage him. But they keep telling him, you know what? All this happened because you're a sinner. If you repent of your sin, then everything will be fine. But this is all because you're a bad dude, Job. So just own it. Admit it. And Job tells him, he's like, y'all, wrong-o. I'm innocent. And this, all this will turn out for my salvation. He uses the same phrase. This, all this, one day you will see that you were wrong and I am right. That your accusations were false and I am right. I am innocent. I will be vindicated. I'll be validated. Right? That's the same language Paul is using here. So all these people attacking me, all these Christians being mean to me, all these false accusations, everyone thinking I'm a wacko, cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. One day... I will stand before the great creator. I will stand before the, one, the only one that matters, the great I am. I will stand before him and he will vindicate me. He will put his stamp of approval on me. And y'all will all see at that point, I will be delivered. I will be vindicated. That's what he's talking about. And for Paul, that was a day he lived for. He lived for the day he would stand before Jesus. And because he was excited about that because he was confident in it. It was a win-win. It was a win-win. And here, here's for us. First reason, death, life. 
death is a win for the people of God. Because one day, God will vindicate his people. If you are in Christ, whether or not you're in Christ or not, everyone in this room and everyone who ever's lived, whatever billion people, will stand before Jesus Christ. Whether they believe that or not, it doesn't matter. They will stand before Jesus. And if you are in Christ, here's what you can expect. I want you to picture it. Right? The creator, the, 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 the sustainer, the one who spoke you into existence, you will stand there and look up at him, his eyes aflame. Now, the way I picture it and the way I think it's going to happen, you'll have the armies of heaven all around the myriads and eight, millions and millions of angels watching. There's Gabriel. What's up, Gabe? There's Michael. There's the low-level, you know, cherubs or whatever. I don't know what they are, but all of them there. And all the saints of all time. There's Adam. Why'd you mess this thing up? There's Moses. <laughs> There's King David. What's up, Dave? Right? There's Paul. There's Irenaeus. There's Jumeliot. Standing before all these people, there you will be, looking at the creator. And Jesus himself will look down at you and look out and say, this is Bill. Bill is mine. Bill is redeemed. Bill is innocent Bill is holy. Bill is blameless. Now, if you know me and live with me, those three adjectives never show up when you're describing me. Okay, I promise. But yet, this is what God is doing. This is what Paul says in Colossians 1, that he is reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you. Holy and blameless and above reproach before him. This is what God is doing. He will validate. He will say, mine, redeemed, you, well done. Enter into the joy of your master. I have been making this for you. I've been preparing this for you. That's why Paul can sit in a prison face a guy that says, you're going to die if you don't bow to me, can deal with these people who are talking smack and say, it's a win because I, I will be there one day. And I know it. Look at verse 19 again. I rejoice. Why? Because I know this. I know it. Underline it in your Bible. I am confident. There's several words in the Bible for no, right? There's no through experience that I know because I've gone through this before and I've experienced it. It's like this. I know if I go out to eat with my family after church that my wife will not order before me. I know it. She's going to want to know what I order before she orders. How do I know? 17 years of marriage is how I know. I know that if, I, if there's a kid's menu and there's pizza on it, that I'm going to be ordering kids' pizzas. I just know it. Why? Because I got four kids. I've experienced it. That's actually not this word. This is not I know through experience. This is I know because it is an absolute fact. It is an empirical truth. It's like this. I know for a fact. I am confident in this. That I will never, ever, this side of glory, 
be able to dunk a basketball. Right? I can wear Air Jordans. I can pump them up. Those 80s. I can quote, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, which has nothing to do with dunking a basketball, by the way. I can work out. I can go work with LeBron. I can, I can do it all. But there's these two truths that cannot be escaped. Gravity and genetics. And both of them say, it is impossible for you to dunk. So I know it for a fact, right? That's the no here. I know absolutely based on truth, based on fact, that I will stand before Jesus and he will validate me. And my question for the text is, how do you know, Paul? How can you be so sure that you're willing to stick your neck out literally and risk everything? How do you know? Only one reason. The resurrection. The resurrection of Jesus. Because if Jesus is dead and didn't come back to the grave, then Paul is the biggest loser since Pee Wee Herman. All right? He's the biggest loser in the world because he is sitting in jail for someone who is dead. And he's suffering and enduring and counting on God to do something that he didn't even do to his own son. That's loserville. And not only that, he's evil because he's telling countless hundreds and thousands of people to put their faith and their hope and their trust in this person who's not really alive and to suffer and endure and, and for no reason, right? But if he is resurrected, which he is, makes all the difference, isn't it? Because God vindicated his son by raising him from the dead, Romans 1, declaring him to be the son of God in power. And if God the Father did that to the son, then he will do it to all those who are in Christ, who have been united to him in his death, burial, and resurrection, Romans 6. So Paul can stand with absolute confidence and not be like, I'm going to die, I'm going to die, I'm going to die. What's going to happen? Are my friends going to leave me? They all are going to leave you, yes, Paul. They are. But, but Jesus won't leave you. He's never going to leave you. Right? And so Paul says, I will stand there. I will be vindicated. It gives him hope. And it makes it a win. It's a win. And so the next thing he says is, for to me to live is Christ. Right after this, whether by life or death, God will be honored. Why? For to me to live is Christ, die is gain. Right? There's this little algebra. That's math, math for Paul. Live Christ, win, die, gain, win, you can't win, Darth, strike me down, win, win. And, and here's what, as, as striking as that is, here's what really strikes me is, is the, next, the next two verses. Look what he says. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. If I have live on, I get to do ministry, win. But, what does he say next? Yet. Which shall I choose? I cannot tell. I'm hard-pressed between the two. Think about what he's saying there. Door number one, Paul. You get to live, do ministry, you know, write a few more books. Who knows? Door number two. We're going to dip you in oil and light you on fire. Oh, no, no. Better yet. We're going to put you in the Colosseum and we're going to let big cats Come chase you. Oh, oh, no, no. We're going to take you up a hill, put you down on a piece of wood, and we're going to hack your head off. I'm hard-pressed between the two. Really? Are you really hard-pressed? I mean, you ask me, 
Bill, you can go on living 40 more years and see your grandkids and go on vacation and maybe go to Europe one day and, you know, go fishing and enjoy your family. Or next week, you get your head cut off by ISIS. I like my wife. I like my family. I like my kids. I like riding bikes and watching football. And I'm not so big on helping them with papers, but I can deal with that. I, I, I like my job. Hard-pressed. Door number one, please. I'm not hard-pressed. Anyone else want to be honest and say you're not hard-pressed between the two? Because I'm sure not. I like life. Call me a sinner. So what is Paul doing here? Is he just some sadistic dude? Does he have a crazy death wish? Is he just some weird, super spiritual, too heavenly minded to be do any earthly good? Is that what Paul is? No. He's a normal dude, just like everyone else. But he's teaching us something. He's reminding us in a culture that is way insulated from death that we don't talk about it. He's, he's teaching us a truth, right? And, he, and, here's, and here's the key to the whole portion, verse 23. He said, I'm hard-pressed between the two. Why? Because my desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. And there's a lot of words you could circle there, far with Christ, right? It's not that Paul, understand, Paul's not saying, yeah, it's going to be fun. I wonder what, what cats feel like when they maul you to death. That's not what he's saying. He's a normal dude, He's, and he's not saying that, that death is not hurt, y'all. So please don't go there. He, the next chapter, his buddy, Epaphroditus, the one they sent, he's going to recap the fact that he almost died. And he said, if he would have died, man, I would have been broken. I would have been sorrowful. It, it would have hurt me. Right? He says in, in 1 Corinthians 15 that there's a sting to death. In 1 Thessalonians 4, he says, yeah, there's mourning. There's mourning with death. Not without hope, but there's mourning. Even Jesus himself, when his buddy Lazarus died, and he was going to raise him from the dead, by the way, he still wept. There's a sting for death. So don't get in your mind that we're saying, yay, let's go all out. It's so good. We're going we're gonna to die. No, there's a sting for death. You know what the sting is? It's for those left behind. It's when, when you watch your grandmother who used to make cinnamon toast for you and the only one who would ever buy you Fruit Loops because my wicked mother wouldn't buy Fruit Loops and my grandmother would. It's, it's watching that woman and she no longer knows my name. That's Sting. Sting is the, the couple that have been married 27 years and one of them passes away. That's Sting. Sting is seeing your son or your daughter lose their life. Sting is, is being in combat with a bunch of men and losing a buddy. There's the sting, right? So let's not play like, oh, it's, yeah. no, there's sting, but there is sting with hope. There is sting with, with a win at the other side. And the win is for Paul, right? The, the win is for those who get to be with Christ. He says, because that's better Far better, right? And again, I said this first service. Look, if something happens to me and tragedy strikes and I'm gone, 
I want a couple of y'all to cry because that would make me feel good from heaven, okay? But I, I want my funeral to jam on. I want it to rock. I mean, don't, be, don't make no dirge for me. You better be singing some Alive in Us and Made Alive, Ethan. Sean, you're going to play drums. I mean, you better be loud. Yeah, a couple people cry. Be sad a little bit. make me feel good. But the gain is for me. That's what Paul is saying. I, and, and I get to be with Christ much, much better. So how do you know, Paul? I mean, really. Here's how Paul knows. Just the beauty of it. Paul had been to heaven. He wrote a little book called Heaven is for Real. 90 Minutes in Heaven. It's, for, but no. <laughs> it's called 2 Corinthians, actually. Right? Paul actually had been there. You say, what are you talking about, Willis? Read first, 2 Corinthians 12. 2 Corinthians is a book that Paul writes to this church. And, and there's these guys in the church, he calls them super apostles. Because they think they're like, you know, Superman of the apostles. And they're attacking Paul and saying, you're not a real apostle and we're a real apostles. And so Paul does what he calls, it's a little boasting. It's a little foolishness. He actually lays out his apostle resume. Right? And he says, I don't want to do this, but I'm doing this because y'all think you're all that and you're not. So let me tell you what apostle I am. And he recounts this time, we don't know when it happened, but it's before this, it's before Philippians, where he actually went to heaven. He says, I know a man. He was caught up into the third heaven, the presence of God himself. And he says, this vision of mine is, was so amazing, it was so great, it was so phenomenal that God actually has to physically hurt me so that I'm not proud about it. I have to have a thorn in the flesh, which I asked God three times to remove from me. And he said, my grace is sufficient for you. So God actually has to bring me physical pain so that I'm not so proud about how great heaven is. So if you're wondering why Paul can say it's far better, it's because he's been there. And I know we kind of have this warped view of heaven in the church. We're like, ah, yeah, heaven will be good, right? It'll be, it'll be fine. I mean, it's better than the other place, but you know. Because we, we, don't, we, don't we don't have a good theology of it. Let me, we don't know a lot about heaven because scripture is not really detailed. But here's what we do know. You will not be floating around in a white dress. Unless that's what makes heaven heaven for you and maybe you will be. But you're not just going to be floating around with a harp. That's not heaven. Heaven is not a seven million year church service. Man, this guy has been going on for like ever. Golly day. <laughs> we ever going to get out of here? That's not heaven. Okay, if you think about the new heavens and the new earth in which righteousness dwells, think about creation, original creation, and all the good things that God has made. Everything that is good. The goodness of that multiplied by a thousand times without the tainting of sin and without wickedness and, and selfishness, it's that. I mean, every day you wake up and his mercies are new and it's better than the day before. And it never is not, like, yeah, yeah, yesterday was a little bit better than today. It's better every day, right? Because better is one day in his courts than thousands elsewhere. And as, as great as all that is, and we don't even know all, the beauty of it and, and the removal of sin and, and everything, as great as all that is, that's not what makes heaven heaven. What makes heaven heaven is who's there. And what does Paul say? My excitement is that I get to be with Christ. 
What makes heaven heaven is that Jesus is there. That's what makes heaven heaven. Because as the psalmist says, and we quote it a lot, but it's, it's, it's part of our heartbeat, that in your presence... In your presence is pleasure forevermore. And heaven is the very presence of God. So the pleasure forevermore is where? At at the feet of Christ. So Paul says, here's the win for me. Number one, I'll stand before Jesus vindicated. Number two, I get to be with Christ. I get to be with Christ. Whether I live, which is Christ, or I die, it is a win-win. And so bring on the lions and the tigers and the bears, oh my, because I get to be with Christ. Right? That's why he says it. And here's the struggle for us in the church. Is my struggle. If you say to live is fill in the blank. Anything else. To live is whatever. Then to die is not gain. To die is lost. Because you will lose that which for you are living. Right? And here's what we do in the church. We hear that, yeah. Yeah, if you live for partying... The die is, is lost, right? Because we always apply it into areas that we're really not doing right now. Because most of us are not out partying, maybe. Maybe some of us are. But we're, so we want to, yeah, you live as party and the die is lost. Yeah, yeah, to live as heroin addict. Yeah, then the die is. Because most of us aren't struggling there. But let's fill in the blank with some stuff that we do struggle with. Stuff that may be good, but it's not a good God. Because what we do in the church is we make good things that God has given us gifts, greatest things. So what about to live is marriage? Right? Marriage is a gift. Marriage is good. Marriage is holy. But I can tell you this. If you live to get married or you live for marriage, unless the plane goes down, one of you is going to lose the other. And dying is loss. Right? Or when you look across to this person you've been married to for 39 years and they don't know your name anymore. Right? And some, some of you are there, have been there. That if you're living only for that, then dying is loss. It's not gain. How about kids? Kids are great most of the time when they're sleeping, right? <laughs> to, for, to live is kids, kids are gifts. Kids are great. But the reality is this. All y'all's kids can't go to Harvard. Not all of them are going to get in. And not all y'all's sons can be the quarterback. All right? What happens if your kid doesn't get into the college? What if your kid does something you don't want him to do or embarrasses you? How about this one? One day, most likely, your children are going to go get married. Here's what that means, ladies. Ladies with boys. That little boy that used to love on you and, and, you know, lay there and watch Snow White and all that stuff, there's going to be another woman who takes your place. You realize that, right? And this woman will be the gatekeeper of not only your son, but of your grandkids. You better be nice. <laughs> right? It's going to happen. Dads with daughters. Some other guy is going to come in. And the way she used to look up to you and smile. My daddy's the greatest. You are not going to be the greatest. She is going to hold another man's hand. Right? It's going to happen. It's a good thing it's happening. 
But if to live is kids, what happens then? Right? And you fill in the blank. To live is health. Should we be healthy? Yes. But like William preached just a few months ago, it's a losing battle. Look in the mirror. Look at William. I mean, it's really losing over there. <laughs> that was for the short joke two weeks ago. <laughs> I mean, it's a losing battle. Live for sports. Right? Some of y'all are all excited. Georgia won yesterday. Great. What happens when they lose to Kentucky or whatever? You're not going to be able to worship Jesus anymore, are you? You're all depressed coming in here. Oh, Georgia lost. Oh. Right? Or anything. To live is anything. Comfort. We love comfort. We insulate ourselves from death. We love the fear. The point is this. You live for anything else, then dying is loss. You live for Christ, dying is gain. That's what he's saying. And here's what I want for our church. Let's just be honest. Right? Can we be honest with each other? Stop lying to each other and stop lying to God and stop lying to ourselves. How many of us really can honestly say this week, to live was Christ? I mean, be honest with yourself. Right? We're in church. You lie, you get double punishment. But God knows already. So can we have a little honesty? Because that's where repentance and that's where life change starts, when we're just honest. And when we worship in just a few moments, I want it to be a time where you can be honest with God because he already knows and stop lying to him. God, there's other things I've been living for. And the, and the likelihood is the one simple thing you've been living for, me. To live is me, right? So let's just be honest. Let's, let's own it and turn from it. So, that, so we can really, like Paul say, if I live, Christ. If I die, win. Right? Because if you, look, here's the reality. If you do not treasure and value Christ now, then why do you want to spend eternity with him? No wonder you're not looking forward to heaven. You don't value Jesus now? You're not going to value him? And so it's a perspective. So let's just be honest with it and start living in light of the fact that you will stand before Jesus, right, and that you will get Jesus. Because that's really the point Paul is making. He's not saying, just so you know, he's not saying we ought to be so heavenly minded that we're no earthly good. No, he's not saying that. In fact, he has a whole two books of the Bible that he writes to a group of, of believers called the Thessalonians where they're just saying, like, we're just going to sit around and wait for Jesus. We're so spiritual. We're just going to sit around. And he's like, get off your butts. Go do something. Get, get, a, get a job. If you don't get a job, you're not going to eat. He's not talking about being so heavenly minded you're no earthly good. He's saying you're so heavenly minded that you are earthly good. That you're valuable here. So he says, he says if I'm here, verse 24, it's going to be, verse 23, it's going to be fruitful ministry. He says to remain in the flesh is probably more necessary. He said, I think that God wants me to stay. Right? Verse 25. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all. Why? Here's our verse. For your progress and joy in the faith. So that you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you. So I'm probably going to stay. I think I'm going to stay. It's necessary for you. I think I've got a couple more books in the Bible in me. I'm not sure, but we'll find out. He said, I'm, I'm here for you guys. I'm here for do ministry. Right? Live 
Fruitful ministry, win. Die, Christ, win. Win, win, see it? And, and then he gives kind of the application of the text. And we don't have time to unpack it, but really chapter two is unpacking it. So the next three weeks, we're gonna unpack it. But here, let me just kind of read through what he says is kind of his application. He says, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. The, the literal rendering of, of let your manner be worthy is live as citizens of the gospel. Isn't that great? His whole idea of heaven, earth, he's, he brings this, this idea, live as a citizen of the gospel. I've been here in the South now since 1992. Okay, most of my, more, more than half of my life I've been in the South. And without a doubt, I wander around, you know, town, I talk to people, and they always, someone ends up saying, you're not from around these parts, are you? I can use y'all and fixin' to and drink sweet tea and eat grits all I want, but it's evident I'm not from these parts. And Paul's point is live in a way that people recognize you're not from these parts. Don't, live, don't be a weirdo. He's not saying be weird. He's saying live in a way that you show that you're from somewhere else. And he gives a bunch of, bunch of ways. And then really this is chapter 2. Let me just highlight a couple of the things he says. First of all, if you're living in a manner worthy of the gospel, the good news that Christ died for sinners and rose again, then, then there's, a, there's a humbleness there. That'll be all chapter 2. There's also a giving grace to other people because you've been given grace. There's also repenting of sin. I'm not going to go keep getting drunk when Jesus died for me so they don't have to keep getting drunk. I'm going I'm to stop doing, talking like this, acting like this. I'm going to repent of this in turn. Why? Because Christ died for this. That's part of living worthy of the gospel. That's part of what he's going to say later. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. But there's some other things in here. He says, so that whether I come and see you or I'm absent, I hear that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind. There should be unity with other believers coming alongside and partnering. You realize in the kingdom, there's no elections, there's no debate. There's not a bunch of candidates up. Who are we going to vote for king this year? There is one king and everybody loves him. Right? And so the same should be here. There should be unity. I don't care if they baptize babies or they speak in tongues, whatever. If they believe the same gospel as us, we should be striving together with one mind, with one spirit for the sake of the gospel. Period. So you need to stop the divisiveness. Stop the, oh no, we're better than them. No, we're not. So that's, that's worthy of the gospel. What else does he say? Verse 28, and not frightened in anything by your opponents? There should be courage. Courage to live for Christ. Courage to say no to sin. Courage to share the gospel with somebody. He says, this is a clear sign to them of your destruction and of your salvation, that from God. You know, when, when, for Paul, when they're like, we're going to kill you if you don't be quiet. Okay. Well, we're going to let you go. Okay. It's a win-win either way. That's a sign to their destruction. Whether we do this or do that, these fill joy. That's the idea. What are they going to do to you? Right? I got joy either way. Win-win. It's a sign that they're destroyed and you are saved. Right? 29. It has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you not only believe but suffer. I'm not sure I want that to be granted to me. Anybody else? I'll take the gift of faith. I don't know if I need the gift of suffering. Right? But that's what he says. When you handle suffering and conflict with joy, it's living worthy of the gospel. It's living worthy of, of the one who sent you into the world. 
And these, this church doesn't know it yet. It's 62 AD. 64 AD, the great persecution by Nero of the church is about to take place. They're two years out from getting just heat and dying. Christians being burned. They don't know it yet. He says, you have been gifted to suffer. You, to be engaged in the same battle that I am. Suffer well. Suffer well. Because it's a win-win. If you live, what? I get to serve Christ. That, that's the third thing. If, if you get to live, you get to serve Christ. That's what it's about. If I die, it's gain. I stand before him vindicated and I get Christ. You can't win, Darth. Strike me down. Same idea. Is it a hard truth? Yeah, especially for those left behind. But how do we as Christians approach the reality of death? It's a win-win. To live is Christ. To die is to get Christ. And so here's the challenge, and we're going to move to worship. And I want you to just, again, I want you to get honest with yourself. Forget the guy next to you. Forget that there's someone next to you. Just do some business with God. Ask him, what is it to live is what? Reflect, show me. Own that. Ask him to increase your faith. Ask him to help you to stop seeing in a mirror darkly. And to start thinking like Paul about seeing him face to face. To live in light of that. Right? In, in the words of Jim Elliot, He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep. Your life. To gain what he cannot lose. Not a fool. And this is what the psalmist says. And we'll take this into our worship. Psalm 90 verse 12 says this. This is what Moses says. Teach us to number our days. That we may get a heart of wisdom. Look, you are not guaranteed tomorrow. You might live another 50 years. You're not guaranteed anything. You need to live numbering your days. And that just means be ready. And, and let me just say this. In a room this size, every single one of us, there's probably you know, 700 people in this room, every single one of us, including myself, will one day stand before Jesus Christ. You say, I don't believe that. I, I don't believe, I, and I can't dunk, but it's, it's not true. It doesn't matter what you believe. It is an absolute fact that you will stand before Jesus and if you have put your faith in him for the forgiveness of your sins, he will say, well done. And if you have not, if you have not, he will say, depart from me, you who practice wickedness. I never knew you. Depart forever. And, th and that's, that's not... God's heart for you, his heart is that you would understand that he loves you and he died for you, which is why he brought you here this morning, which is why he has you here, so that you understand his love and his grace and that you deserved his wrath, but instead he gives you his love. But you must receive, you must believe. And if you have, I mean, if you have questions about that, some of our elders will be down front. If you have just prayer requests, if you're like, man, I am broken, I am living for myself, and you want us to pray for you, some of our elders will come down front during the singing at the end of the service, we're going to start doing this every week. You come down. We'll, we'll pray for you. We would love to pray for you. Or if it's something else, you want us to pray for healing, you want us to pray for your children, please, it is our privilege to do so. But we're going to worship. Be honest with God. We're going to sing the first song. I'm going to tell you right now. We're singing, My Jesus, I Love Thee. Most of us, 
It's probably a lie sometimes. But let's not make it a lie. That my Jesus, I love thee, I know thou art mine. Let's, with all our heart, let's sing it like we mean it. Let's sing it as if he's listening because he is. Why don't you stand with me and we'll pray and we'll worship. Jesus, we love you not as much as we should, not with our whole heart, mind, and strength. So I just pray right now that that would be more real than it was when we came into this room. Increase our faith, Lord. Increase our love for you and not for this world. For if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. I pray just for this church, Lord, and all the other churches that proclaim Christ, that there would be fruit, that fruit would remain, that we would persevere, that we would have open door for the word, that, that you would be exalted in your churches, Lord. And this would be just one of the, the millions of them that are praising Christ. We long for the day for you to return. We pray that it would become happen today. But if not, Lord, to live for us is Christ. Make that true. And, and let us, with right perspective, see our future with you. To die is actually to gain you. To die is to stand clear, pure, blameless before you. Help us with that as we wrestle. For those who have lost people, those who are mourning still, be very real in your comfort with them, Lord Jesus. Please, by your spirit, comfort and give hope. We don't want to mourn as those who have no hope. And so as we sing, as we worship, be glorified, be honored, we praise Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen.